everyone, and welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. I, I think we're all excited to have made it through 2020, but now we need to deal with 2021. Whatever the year brings, we'll face it together, so I'm glad you're here. And if you're new, welcome. Drop us a line in the comments below to say hello. Now, numbers can be frustrating. They tell a story, but you can't ask them any questions. So you can take your temperature and you can tell if you have a fever, but the thermometer doesn't tell you why. In 2019, Barna Research conducted a survey and they asked practicing Christians when they had last attended church. 79% said they had been in the past week. 21% said they had been in the last month. In 2020, they tried again. In September, they asked practicing Christians how often they attended church in person or digitally since the pandemic began. At that point, six months had passed since the initial lockdown. We'd all had time to adjust to the new normal and the initial shock of the transition. According to the results, just 51% of Christians were now attending church weekly in any format, regardless of whether you call an online sermon or a Zoom call church. One in five practicing Christians said they had done nothing at all. Let that number sink in. One in five practicing Christians had chosen to do nothing at that point to relate to the people of God for more than half a year. Those numbers tell a story. But the story gives more questions than answers, right? This story doesn't tell us why. And I imagine there are lots of different reasons. Surely there are some people who are in crisis and haven't invested in the kind of fellowship that can be a support in hard times. And there are probably others who are new to church or new to a particular church and caught off guard in the transition. There are probably some who attend church because they've always attended church. When the tradition is disrupted, the motivation's just not there anymore. And I have to believe that there are some who just don't think church is that important. They like Jesus, but if fellowship requires any kind of effort, it's just not going to be a priority. Regardless of what's behind the numbers, I think the numbers should concern us. Because I don't think they just reveal something about the state of the church in the pandemic. I think they reveal something about the state of the church, period. The Bible describes the Christian life as a race. And the fact is, many are sitting out this leg of the race. Today, I'd like to ask the question, how do we finish the race? When I think about new challenges, my mind goes back to old ones. How has the church faced crises like this in the past? And how has the church faced crises like this in Scripture? Those questions have made me reflect on things I have observed following the great tsunami in Japan. And those questions have taken me back to a place in Scripture where God's people dealt with a similar threat. The book of Hebrews reads like, a long sermon given to encourage Christians to keep running the race. It was written to first century Jews who had embraced Jesus as their Messiah. When they turned to Christ, life became hard. They suffered under persecution. They were publicly humiliated. Some were tortured. Some had their possessions confiscated and others were imprisoned. Hebrews 10:34 says they had initially borne all of this with joy, because they were so focused on their eternal inheritance. But as time went on, their faith began to show cracks. Some began to think, 
If we just stop meeting with the Christians, people will leave us alone. We can still hang on to God, but we'll just dial down the Jesus stuff and steer clear of Christian fellowship. Life will be easier that way. The letter is written to encourage them that they're in danger of throwing away everything and shows them how they can finish the race. Let's dig into a portion of the letter in chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. If you don't have a Bible, pause the video to bring up this passage so you can follow along. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us three things to do to finish the race, and with each a reason to do them. The first is about faith. Draw near to God in confidence because the door is open. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have access to the presence of God, and he wants you to come close. Draw near to God in confidence because the door is open. Now, the book of Hebrews is filled with Old Testament imagery. In verse 19, it talks about the holy places. In verse 20, it speaks of a curtain. And in verse 21, the, the reference is to a great high priest. What's going on here? These are all references to the Jewish temple. Under King Herod, the Jerusalem temple was rebuilt as one of his many architectural projects. But there was something unique about it that's different than any temple I've ever visited or heard, of, or heard about. In most temples, there's an elaborate building that ha houses a sacred statue of the de deity, and people step up to it and pray. In the Jewish temple, there was a room called the Most Holy Place where God dwelt by his spirit. But the thing that was unique about that room was that it was closed off by a large, thick curtain. And the curtain was always closed. That curtain reminds me of the one that separates economy from first class on an airplane. Whenever I try to fold my oversized legs into the tiny economy seats, I can't help but look up the aisle at the curtain that blocks my view into first class. I picture people there sprawled out in comfort and rest. I imagine them feasting on ribs while I chew my stale pretzels. The curtain on the airplane symbolizes a world that's closed to other people. It's a barrier to what's on the other side. And the truth is, most of us can live without that. But the curtain in the Jerusalem temple was more serious. It stood as a reminder that access to God was hindered. Now, some people create barriers because they want to be alone. That's not why the, God had this, this uh, barrier uh, created. The curtain that barred access to God was there because of our sin. 
The curtain was God's way of communicating that he's holy and human sin closes the door to direct fellowship with him. That curtain was only pulled back once a year and only for the high priest on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. It's the holiest day of the Jewish calendar and it was when the high priest was able to pass through the curtain to the other side. It would have been exciting for the Israelites to know their high priest had gone into God's presence on their behalf. He'd return and tell stories of what it was like. But those stories would be like the ones you've heard of friends who were upgraded to first class. It may be interesting to hear about their experiences, but hearing them just reminds you you're still excluded. Imagine this goes on generation after generation for centuries. God's door is closed because of our sin. But then the Messiah comes. He comes as a great high priest. But instead of sacrificing an animal as a substitute for our sin, he sacrifices his own life on our behalf. He dies on the cross for us on our behalf. And as he does, Matthew records in his gospel that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's like somebody has gone into first class and not only have they brought back some hors d'oeuvres for you, but they've torn down the curtain altogether and invited everyone to come and to enjoy the full benefits and privileges of first class, even though they hadn't paid for it. That's what it's saying in verse 19 when it says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's what it's saying in verse 20 when it, it speaks of the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. He has to remind them of these things because they were tempted to go back to sitting in economy. And you and I face the same temptations today. They were tempted to go back to a life that might, might have been easier in some ways. But it was a life that forfeit the presence of God. A life that forfeit intimacy with God. And it meant giving up confidence with God. No confidence in prayer. No confidence of his help. No confidence of eternal life. There was a lot at stake. And, and there's a lot at stake for you and me. Hear the invitation that's made in verse 20, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Jesus has torn down the curtain. And so the appeal is to stop sitting in economy. Enter God's presence. Followers of Jesus Christ get to live in the most holy place. We can spend our time in the presence of God because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We can walk with God and talk with him. And if we're going to finish the race, we need to do that. We need to make the most of the fellowship with God that Jesus has made possible. And in a year with so much isolation, the intimacy that we can have with God has to be our lifeline. Now, as I think of this, I'm reminded of a Christian relief worker named Emiko, who stands out to me when I think of this invitation. She delivered relief supplies to those in need and helped fishermen who were struggling to find a way through the recovery. But wherever she went, people seemed to open up to her. They would tell her their problems and she would patiently listen. And then when they were done, she would always say, come on, let's amen together. And if that sounds strange to you in English, it sounds even more strange in Japanese. <laughs> but wherever she went, we would listen to people's struggles and she would take them beyond the curtain in prayer. She would tell them that saying amen after her prayer was a way for them to join in and express agreement. 
And the gruff old fisherman would chew on the word sometimes, but they always said it. And it felt like she was giving economy passengers a taste of first class. If we're going to finish the race, we've got to amen together as well. We need to pray. We need to enjoy the privilege of communion with God that Jesus has made possible. Draw near to God in confidence because Jesus has opened the door. Now to finish the race, we need to draw near to God in confidence, but we also need to hold fast to God in hope. We can endure today because of the hope that God has given us for tomorrow. And our hope is sure because Jesus has proven his faithfulness. Hold fast to God in hope because Jesus is faithful. This passage essentially says that very thing in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In fact, just as an aside, it might help for you to notice how this passage is put together. Sometimes a passage can be difficult to break down and summarize. It can be hard to follow the train of thought in some sections. And you might listen to some sermons and think, is the preacher just making up those summary points? But in this passage, it's really clear. In, in verses 19 and 21, you can see the word since. It's repeated, and that's to give two reasons or two, two reasons or basis of what will come later. So in verse 19, it's since we have confidence. In verse 21, it says, since we have a great priest. Then the three verses begin, the, the next three verses begin with the word, let us. In verse 22, it's, let us draw near. In verse 23, it's, let us hold fast. And finally, in verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. When you repeat a phrase like that three times, it makes it easy to follow. Also, in, in verse 22, you have the word faith. In verse 23, the word hope. And finally, in verse 24, the word love. Faith, hope, love. They're the three great virtues that are lifted up in the New Testament. And here they help organize the three things that we need to do to finish the race. We already looked at the faith point. Now we're focused on the hope. The hope in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. With faith, we believe what God has done, but in hope we believe what God will do. And I think that we forget that our relationship with God is part faith and part hope. If we don't understand that, balance will become disillusion when life is hard. Because by faith, we believe that Jesus pulled back the curtain, blocked our access to God. But that doesn't mean that life is always like feeling like we're lounging around in first class. The reality is that life is often hard. And as the Jewish Christians experienced in the first century, sometimes it can actually get harder after we trust in Jesus. But we have an unshakable hope in what God will do. We have this eternal inheritance. We have the promise of what God will do for us in eternity. When life is hard, you need to remind yourself that this isn't it yet. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The, the point is, this isn't it yet. There's so much more that Jesus has promised us. We live through hard times by 
clinging to his promises of hope. And verse 23 urges us to do that with the words, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus has proven his faithfulness to us. And so we can wait on the fulfillment of the promises that he's given, knowing that his word is true. If we're going to finish the race, we need to hold on to our hope. We need to think often about what God will do, not just about what he's already done. This isn't it yet. It's only just begun. Now, when I think of hope and finishing the race, I think of a man named Pastor Minigishi. I visited him just after the tsunami hit his town. In the previous year, his church was renovated and they put in new hardwood flooring in the sanctuary. After this tsunami, that flooring was literally all that was left of his church. His home had been washed away and he was living in the gymnasium of a nearby high school with hundreds of other residents. I, I laughed when he said to me with a big smile, I've never lived in such a big place. In the last visit I made to see him, I arrived just as the pulpit was being delivered to the newly rebuilt church. It was an emotional moment. He excitedly showed me around the building that he'd waited four years to see restored. When he was done, I asked, wow, this looks great, but what about your home? And he just smiled again and said, there wasn't money in the budget for it. He still was living in, in relief, temp temporary relief housing, essentially a trailer park. But he lives in joy because he lives in hope. He knows that this isn't it yet. He has his eyes set on what's to come. And if we're going to finish the race, we need to keep our focus in the same place. Hold fast to God and hope because Jesus is faithful. Now we've looked at faith and hope and last comes love. If we're going to finish the race, we need to encourage one another in love because the time is short. We need each other and we need that help that only comes as we get close enough to each other to give and receive it. Encourage one another in love because the time is short. Now, at this point in the passage, you might have expected to hear something like, if you've got faith in what Jesus has done and hope in all that he'll do, that should get you by. If gathering with other Christians is making life hard for you right now, then maybe hold back on that for a while. You've got God after all, so there's nothing to worry about. Well, that's not what he says. And that's never what scripture teaches. Meeting together has always been a priority for God's people. That's why it says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You can hear the sense of urgency in his words, right? There are obstacles, but he knows they need to keep meeting together. There's persecution, but he knows they need to keep meeting together. They'll face losses, but he knows they need to keep meeting together. But notice what he gives as the alternative to neglecting to meet together. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Meeting together is always supposed to have been more than just sitting together. In verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the point of meeting together, trying to stir each other up. We meet to encourage each other. We meet, we meet to build one another up. 
And if all the church has ever been to you is slipping into a service at 11 o'clock and rushing home for lunch as soon as it's done, then this is a crucial facet of church that you may have never truly entered into. And it's essential for all of us. Earlier in this book, Hebrews 3.13, it puts it like this. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It says that because alone sin deceives us. Alone we begin to believe its lies. Alone our hearts become hard and stubborn. Habits are formed and strongholds are established. But God has given us each other to prevent all of that. And yes, sometimes fellowship is inconvenient and even costly. That doesn't make it any less important. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor that many of you have heard of. He was persecuted for his resistance in Nazi Germany. He talked of the importance of Christian fellowship in these words. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. And I'm sure you've experienced this. In a moment of struggle or trial, the words of another Christian speaking scripture to us are life-giving. And they feel so much more powerful than the words we seek to encourage ourselves with on our own. We need each other. Now, the way that we work at encouraging each other as a church is through small groups. Our life groups and prayer groups are where you begin to build the kind of relationships you need to finish the race. And with our in-person services suspended and so much more isolation in our lives right now, I can't stress how important it is that you get involved in one. If you're not in one, why don't you skip your New Year's resolutions this year and send me an email about joining a group instead. It's how we finish the race. It's how scripture says that we finish the race. Now this passage reminds us that the Christian life is all about faith, hope, and love. By faith, draw near to God in confidence. Don't sit cramped in an economy relationship with God. Jesus has torn down the curtain, so walk in the presence of God that he's made possible. Then in hope, live in expectation. Expectation of all that Jesus has promised us. When it's hard, remind yourself, this isn't it yet. But he's faithful. He'll finish what he started. If you have faith and hope, then don't forget love. Your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ need you. And you need them. Draw near for encouragement. Draw near to encourage. It's how we finish the race. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray. Pray with gratefulness, first of all, for all that Jesus has made possible. I thank you for the freedom of relationship that we have with you, that we can come directly into your presence in prayer. Thank you that you receive us as your beloved children. Heavenly Father, I thank you also for your great promises. Thank you for all that you have called us to fix our eyes on, the joy that is to come. But Father, in the meantime, 
as we cling to those promises and as we believe what you've done, we need each other. We need to meet together, to encourage one another, to build one another up. Help us to make the most of the opportunities that we have for fellowship now. That none may fall, that we might be strengthened, and that Christ might be glorified in our midst. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope today's passage has shown you how you can finish the race and reminded you of the grace that Jesus has opened up for us as our great high priest. If you think this is a message that other people need to hear, then help share the link and spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.